So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I invite you to uh, open them up to the first chapter of Acts, and we're going to spend some time in chapter, actually in chapter two today, of the book of Acts, because we thought we, there's no better time uh, to do a series called The Church Has Left the Building than right now. We thought it was pretty funny and ironic that we would start this series on the Sunday where all of our campuses were back, at least some, in some uh, capacity. So we're, we're starting this series, I think it's going to be a six or seven week series, and what we're actually looking at is what the biblical church is all about, the church in the New Testament, what it's all about. I think that this whole pandemic has really caused us to stop and think about institutions. Have you noticed that? Like the institution of the family. You know, you're, you're, you've got, like everyone's a homeschooler now, and some of you didn't sign up for that. Uh, for us, our, our kids are older, our kids are 17 and 19, but our daughter came back, uh, and she's staying with us now. She has a place down in Salt Lake, but um, it was lonely and boring down there without school, so she's been with us. It's, been, we've, it's like we're reliving their junior high days, our kids' junior high days. It's been a lot of fun for us. I think it's been a lot of fun for them. Some of you are saying, fun is not the word I would use. Uh, if you've got younger kids at home, Tracy and I are praying for you. Uh, we're just like, thank the Lord, because if you know our son, AJ, he's a handful, uh, and he's 17, and he was really a handful, you know, when he was 10 years old, so we're so glad that this whole thing happened when our kids were at least a little bit older and a little bit more mature. Pardon us as we figure out some stuff on the screens. Just pay no attention to the screen behind me. Um, but, you know, I think one of the, one of the uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but but this whole pandemic has really caused institutions to stop and think about how they do things, right? Like the university. How do universities do things? A lot of experts think that this is going to totally change uh, higher education. You know, something that's kind of been long, probably long overdue, and time will tell if this changes the university. Uh, I think me the medical field, some of you might be in the medical field, People are saying, this, there, there have been some medical advances that have been long overdue, and this whole pandemic is changing the way we think about medicine, the way we think about hospitals. But for me, as a pastor, and some of you might be wondering, what has is, what is our pastoral staff been doing for the last two or three months? Uh, we've been playing a lot of golf. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we've been working hard. I mean... Yeah, I think your pastor, Jeff, would say just, just peek down the kids' church hallway and you'll notice there's been a lot of renovation going around, a lot of needed renovation going around here at, at Riverdale campus. This is our first campus, so we kind of were due to do some updates. We were planning on doing it and we were going to have to do updates between Sundays and then God gave us this pandemic so that we could do the, up. nobody was coming and so we were able to, uh, to do a lot of stuff. So we're excited about someday being able to use those kids' classrooms once again. But I think it's really caused us as a church, we've been doing a lot of uh, soul searching and asking, what is the church really about? What is the church really about? I actually believe that the way we've done church in the last two or three months is actually more similar to the way the early church did church than what you're used to. If the early church, if the early Christians would have come to church last year, this time they would have probably said, I don't understand what's going on here. 
you guys have buildings? You guys can freely come together and worship, and what are these songs you're doing, and, and the order of service, and I think they would, there would be a lot of getting used to the way, the, the way Americans do church. But I think what we've experienced in the last two or three months is it would actually be very comfortable to an early Christian, because I think they would say, no, this is a little bit more like how church is for us, not with the live streams and that sort of thing, but having to do church at home, having to worship in our homes. I know we've really enjoyed, I don't know about you guys, we've really enjoyed these last couple of months of live streams because what we've been doing every Sunday morning is we'll get up and, and we'll, we'll turn on Alpine's live stream and we'll, we'll worship with all kinds of people all around the valley. And it's neat to see worship teams up there. We'll worship with, with Alpiners and then we'll listen to a message and we'll watch the little kids video at the end, which we love. And then usually what we'll do is, our daughter Kenzie, is she'll put on her church service from down in Salt Lake, where she goes to church, and so we'll get to worship again. We'll get to see how another church does worship. And a lot of times after that, we'll actually just put some worship, you know, we, not, we're, we've already got YouTube on our TV, so now we'll, we'll put some worship songs on. And we'll worship with Christians from New York or from Australia or whatever the you know, Hillsong or Elevation, and so then we'll worship, and then that's when it, that's when it gets a little bit out of hand in our living room, because then we're jumping around, and we're dancing around, and we're worshiping, because nobody can see us, right? And so we're just letting loose, and we're just really worshiping together, and we've come to really enjoy these Sunday mornings together, where, now again, it's hard for us not to be with you, and not to worship with you shoulder to shoulder, but it's also been neat for us to sort of tap into, like just still worshiping together as a family. I, I hope you guys have been doing that as well. But today as we open up the Bible, we're going to ask the question, what was the essential message of the early church? You know, throughout this series, we're going to look at the essentials, like what makes church, church? If the government shut down churches, does the church just not exist? Well, no, of course it exists. This is what's true in, in history, is the church has been shut down throughout history, not necessarily for pandemics, but sometimes just shut down because of persecution. So what makes the church the church? Because the church has always existed for 2,000 years. It started on Pentecost Sunday 2,000 years ago. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1. And so what we've done with this series is we've just said, hey, let's stop and let's take a moment and let's see what really makes the church the church. What are the essentials that we need? And by the way, a building is one of the essentials. We have buildings and we're grateful for that, thank the Lord. But it's actually not going to be one of the messages, the essential building. We're going to talk about the essential message. Next, next week we'll talk about the essential mission. We're going to talk about serving. We're going to talk about essential relationships. But today we thought it'd be great to start with what was the message of the early church? And I don't know if you knew this, but Peter's first four sermons are recorded in Acts chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. So those are the first four sermons ever recorded, ever, ever preached 
for the, in the church age. Now, Jesus preached sermons, but I'm talking about after Jesus died and rose again. A lot of Jesus' sermons were about the kingdom of God. He said, repent, the kingdom of God, get ready, the kingdom of God is here. But after he died and rose again, then he told his followers, he said, you guys are going to start the church. And the church was started 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday. And Peter's very first sermon is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And so I encourage you, because we're going to have to go through this quickly this morning, but I encourage you this week in your small groups, with your families, with a mentor, I encourage you to actually take a look at these chapters, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, and fact check our message today, because you'll see that it's true, that in Peter's first four sermons, he basically, I boiled this down to three main points. Did you know that Peter preached a three-point sermon? We do that a lot. It's biblical. He preached a three-point sermon in essence, and I want you to find these three points in each of these four sermons. Now, I want you to understand something. Peter was not seminary trained. Peter was a fisherman. He was a totally normal guy. He might not have even been, been able to read. And when he preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, he didn't mean to. It was an accidental sermon. He preached when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. They started speaking out in other languages, in other tongues in Acts chapter 2. And then the, this huge crowd is here, and they were a Jewish, mostly Jewish crowd. They were the diaspora Jews. So they, they were Jewish people, Jewish background. They were in Jerusalem because it was, it was the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. And so they were celebrating this holiday in Jerusalem, and after Jesus had died and risen again, and, and here they, the, this ragtag bunch of about 120 Christians that's all that there were in the world at that point, 120 Christians. They had gotten instructions from Jesus to go and to wait and that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so here they are, they're in this upper room together and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on them. We'll talk about this in week four of our series. But what happens is they started speaking in tongues and and they started speaking in all of these other languages, and these were languages that the diaspora Jews, diaspora means that they were spread out, they were, they were all over the region, but they spoke other languages, but they all also spoke Jewish, and when they came together, they hear, they hear the early disciples speaking out the gospel, speaking out the praises of God in their languages, in their tongues, and so after that craziness happened, Peter suddenly, accidentally, preaches his first sermon. And again, you can read it right there in Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 14, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. And from the, that's how, that was his hook. That's how he started his sermon. And then he preaches this message. And I've broken down this message in Acts chapter 2. I've broken it down into these three points. Again, read it for yourself and you'll see it. Point number one is this. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. See, if you were a Jew 2,000 years ago, you were waiting for this Messiah, 
this Messiah figure. All these prophecies in the Old Testament, there were all these prophecies about this, this king who would come, this leader who would come. He would, be from the, he would be from the line of David, and that's why when you read the book of Matthew and you see the genealogy of Jesus, it starts with, you know, we're seeing the genealogy through David. He would be through the line of David, and he would be this great warrior, this great king. And basically, Peter, his first point, and you can read it, he quotes from the Old Testament, his first point is, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Now, I don't think, for most of us, we're probably Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jews. I don't think we can appreciate the hook that that would have been to the crowd that day in Jerusalem. They were like, wait a second, we've been waiting for this for generations. You're saying that Jesus is the one? And Peter said, yeah, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Now, he didn't show up the way we expected him to show up. He didn't do what we expected him to do, because what they expected the Messiah figured to do, was to come in and to become a, a, an earthly ruler, an earthly king, kind of like David was a king. They were expecting Jesus to come and elevate Israel to this place of national fame once again, like in the days of David and Solomon. And that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came and he, he taught about a different kind of kingdom. He taught about a kingdom that wasn't earthly, a kingdom that was otherworldly, and then he actually died at the hands of the Romans. So they weren't, the Jews didn't expect that the Messiah would do that, that he would die. But what Peter is saying is he didn't just die. He rose again. Now let's take a look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. David knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And Jesus is saying, or Peter is saying, Jesus is that descendant. So the first point of Peter's three-point sermon is that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. The second point is that Jesus died and rose again. This is kind of the heart of the gospel message. In fact, I really challenge you to read. If you're a Christian, by the way, if you're a Christian, the reason this message is so important is you better, you better know what the key message of the early church was because this message hasn't changed in 2,000 years, and it will never change because this is the same old message that we actually preach every week here at Alpine Church. It's all about Jesus. But as you see in Acts chapter 2, and I, and I, I can only show it to you in Acts 2 for today because we don't have time, but I encourage you to find this in all of Peter's sermons. In fact, it's not just, in, this, mess, this point isn't just in the first four sermons, it's in every sermon in the book of Acts. There are several more sermons preached in the book of Acts. Paul preaches a bunch of sermons a little bit later on in Acts. And we see that this message, I've spent a lot of time studying this because as a preacher myself, I want to make sure that I'm true to the word of God. So one of the most important things that I can study is what did the early church preach? And this is all over the place. And that's why we always preach Jesus, that Jesus died and he rose again. Not just on Easter, but we always preach that. And we will always preach that at Alpine Church. And if Alpine Church ever stops preaching that, please find another church because we will not be the church anymore if we stop preaching this. This is so central. Here's how Peter first preached it in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And again, if you look in Acts chapter three, 
Peter preaches another sermon and he says it. In Acts chapter 4, Peter preaches kind of an impromptu sermon before the, the council, the Jewish leaders. So here this fisherman turned preacher is, is daring to tell the Jewish leaders who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And then again in Acts chapter 5, he preaches another sort of mini sermon to his jailers. And in every incident, instance, Peter is preaching this, Jesus crucified and risen. And in the first sermon, he also emphasizes that he's exalted at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, which is what Stephen preached. Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter seven, read Stephen's first sermon and you'll see that as well. Read Paul's sermons later on in Acts and you'll see this theme as well. This is an important theme in the early church And then it leads to this final theme, this final point in Peter's three-point sermons is that Jesus alone can rescue. Do you notice something about Peter's sermon? It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus died and he rose again. And Jesus is the one who can rescue you and only Jesus. And we see that here in this passage. Verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're here today and you have never responded to the gospel message, you know, one of the things, one of the unexpected things that has happened in these last few months at Alpine Church is we've had a lot of people coming to our online services who have never come to our physical building and I imagine a few of you might be in this building today, and I want to, if you haven't heard it yet, I want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. This is why we exist. So this message, even though it's for Christians who are here today, for those of you who are Alpiners, it's important for you to understand the essential message. But I think for those of you who are spiritual, what I would call a spiritual seeker, it is even more important for you to understand these three points because it's a matter of life and death for you. And if you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time, like Peter's, like Peter's audience 2,000 years ago, at the end of Peter's message, and again, Peter didn't plan this out. The Holy Spirit is just speaking through Peter, and he's keeping this message simple. At the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, it says, it says that the people who heard the sermon were, the Bible calls it, the Bible says they were cut to their heart. In verse 37, it says Peter's words pierced their hearts. His words pierced their hearts and they said to him, brothers, what should we do? And that's the right response to the essential message. The message is all about Jesus, that he's the one you've been waiting for. And if you're not Jewish, he's still the one you've been waiting for. Because every one of us is longing for something. We're longing for mission or we're longing for relationship or we're longing for purpose or we're longing for truth we're just we're looking for someone to tell us the truth. Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus can change your life. Jesus in the words of one young man, Jesus can make your wildest dreams come true. That was unexpected. That's not in my notes. Typically Napoleon Dynamite doesn't make it into my notes, but it is true. Jesus is the one you've been waiting for, but there are three po- possible responses and I want to end with this. This is the right response, is to respond in faith to Jesus. But there are a few other responses, and let's just take a minute on this before we close today. The response of moralism says, 
Okay, I heard the message. I heard Peter's message. I heard the message of the Bible, the message of, of classical Orthodox Christianity. I heard the message, but I don't actually buy it because instead what I buy is something that I call moralism. Moralism says, no, I have to save myself. Christianity says, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He died and he rose again. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus alone can rescue you if you'd put your faith in Jesus. That's the only way to be rescued. You can't save yourself. A moralist says, no, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to save myself. I'm going to save myself by keeping the rules, by being a good person, by keeping the checklist. I'm going to save myself by pulling myself up by my bootstraps and and just really like working hard to overcome with my good works the things that I'm ashamed, ashamed of with my bad works. And again, that's, that's a very American response, but it's not biblical. I've met many people in my life who have, who have somehow gotten the idea that Christianity is just moralism, that the Bible says that I need to be a better person because God loves better people. I need to be a better person because that's the only way I can get to heaven. That's actually not at all the biblical message. The biblical message is that you're broken. The biblical message is that you can't, you can't make yourself right in the sight of God, that you can't earn your relationship with God. So to the moralist, I would say, stop trying to be God. Now, a second wrong response is relativism. Relativism might even be more popular today in America. Moralism has been around for 2,000 years, but relativism is really sort of resurgent right now. Relativism says, I have to follow my heart. Relativism says, no, there's no one way to heaven. There's no absolute truth. Relativism says, okay, I get it, that's your perspective. That's your opinion, but I have a different opinion. I think there are many paths to heaven. Well, actually, the Bible, the Bible teaches that there's only one path to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's a bold claim. That's not a real popular thing to claim in this day and age, to say, how dare you? How dare you say that there's only one way to heaven? Look, I'm not saying it. The Bible's saying it. Now, you can, you can disagree with the Bible, but do so at your own peril. Because God's word says there's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. It's not a church. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. But the, relative, the, the person who follows relativism says, no, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to choose my path. Relativism is Oprah's religion. Now, she puts Christianity on it, but that's just for her. But for you, it's whatever. It's whatever path. Now, the Bible teaches that there's only one way, and it's through Jesus. Don't be a moralist. Don't be a relativist. The proper response, and this is what we see in Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, the proper response is a response of faith. And this is the person who says, I trust Jesus alone to save me. And the Bible says that when you, 
when you come to him with that heart of repentance. And again, if you want to see the first time it really happened after the first sermon, because the Bible says that day thousands of people put their faith in Jesus. After Peter's first sermon, it was such a better sermon than the one you're hearing today. The Holy Spirit moved their hearts. The Holy Spirit opened their hearts, and they said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And they repented, and they turned to God, and their lives were forever changed that day. And yours can be too today. If you're here today and you would say, I've never responded to this. I've never heard it so simply put before that it's all about Jesus, the essential message of the church. 2,000 years ago and today, it's a timeless message. It'll never change. The essential message is all about Jesus. He's the one you've been waiting for. He died, he rose again. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. And he alone, Jesus alone can rescue. And if you're here today and you say, I want that rescue, then I want to invite you to meet the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Alpine Church, because he alone can save. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I thank you that this is true. I thank you that you would use a guy like Peter, just a totally normal, average guy, a guy that we can all relate to, that you would use him and that you would put your first sermon on his heart and that that sermon, those sermon points haven't changed in thousands of years. And so even as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday today, as we look back on the first Pentecost Sunday 2,000 years ago, God, may this message burn in our hearts For the Christians who are here, Lord, I pray that they would remember this, that they would preach this to themselves, that they would share this with their kids. Lord God, that they would make disciples with this message. And for the spiritual seeker who's here today, I pray that you would open their eyes like you did those many hearers 2,000 years ago. I pray that you would open their eyes to this simple, profound powerful message that Jesus alone can rescue. And God, I pray that turning to you in faith, their lives would be changed. And we praise you for it ahead of time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.